This is the Secrets We Share podcast, a show about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, and the left and rights of mental health care in Australia. Here's your host, Francis Carlton. Welcome to Secrets We Share, another podcast coming from you to you from Sydney this time. Um, I am with Adrian. He is a narrative therapist, and we are going to be talking about narrative and also a little bit about clinical supervision, which is something that therapists do to make sure that they're doing the right things and to make sure that they're looking after themselves. So welcome, Adrian. Thank you so much for having me in your in your rooms in Sydney. You're most welcome. Thank you very much. So just we'll, we'll just start by, um, I'm going to ask you, what is narrative therapy? Um, narrative is the idea that our lives and our identities are shaped by stories, that we have stories about ourselves, about other people, about everything. And it's through those stories that we navigate our way in life. And uh, some stories are more helpful than others. And these stories are not arbitrarily produced. They're informed by something. So narrative has quite a strong uh, intention to look at culture and discourse, the, the, uh, the prescribed narratives by which we understand ourselves. Okay. Well, mm. when you say, Does that make any sense? Well, when you say culture and discourse, mm. can you just explain what that means okay. a little bit more? Um, so this is a bit of a cliche, I suppose, but uh, men being strong or women being compliant or something like that, those ideas may still be around. And we might use those ideas to assess ourselves and others. Words like weak or strong or kind or selfish, they're all culturally derived. Okay, you and so, I didn't uh, invent them. So the idea mm. that um, the man is the breadwinner and the woman is the homemaker. That might be a discourse, yes, something that's drawn from culture. Mm. And how, how would you work with somebody to, to change a discourse? Can you give us an example of a sort of a fairly prevalent one that, that you work with? Okay. Um, well, we're looking at how, um, where does this discourse come from? First of all, we need to identify it. What do you believe to be true about yourself? Uh, we identify the discourse, then we deconstruct it, see where it comes from. Um, can, I can give you an example, if you like. Well, how about uh, how about we pick, I am a strong, independent woman. Mm, mm. Um, what does it mean to you to be a strong, independent woman? Being able to survive, being able to live on my own, yeah. not depending on anybody else. And in, in what ways does that idea serve you? And in what ways might it not serve you, being strong and independent? Okay, so... In a response to that, I could say something along the lines of, it doesn't serve me in so much as I'm alone a lot of okay. the time, but it serves me in the fact that I know that I'm safe. Yeah. Would it Is be that right? what you mean? Yes, that's yeah, right. Okay. So would it be right to say that you'd like to keep some aspects of that, but not all of it? Yeah, I don't want to be alone anymore. Okay. We're doing a little bit of role play here today okay, with, yeah, uh, yeah. With, um, mm. with, the, with discussing narrative therapy. It is a very... It is a, a very sort of 
the, the way the way it works, you do need examples to sort of really yes. talk about it. So role yeah. play is probably a really good way yeah, to do that. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Yes, okay. yes. You know, not based on actual truth, of course. Oh, no, no. <laughs> a friend of mine. <laughs> Maybe slightly. Mm. So so having that, being able to sort of die, sort of die, deep dive into what causes that narrative is mm. what makes it so powerful. Mm. Where it comes from, yes. When did you first heard, hear the words strong and independent? How were those presented to you? Uh, can you think of some television shows or literature where strong and independent has been portrayed? How was it portrayed? As a good thing or as a not good thing? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Okay. So how did you get involved with narrative therapy? By chance. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, going to do a master's degree uh, in cultural psychology at the University of Western Sydney, and uh, I was enrolled in Jungian studies. And then about a week before it was all due to start, I thought, do I really want to do the Jungian studies? The textbooks were very thick. Yeah. Um, I'd done some work in that field before. The other course available was narrative studies, and I did about 10 minutes research and I thought, why not? I'll give it a whirl. Right. And so I went in very naively and, uh, you know, with so fingers crossed. Quite, you went in quite blind Absolutely. to what it was going to be yeah. about over yeah. over the sort of, you know, mm. the, the people who do, who, who who work in Jung and are very, very dedicated oh, yes, to it yes. and very quite earnest in some cases. Mm. Uh, and, you know, in the first week it was a residential, I realised that I'd made a horrible mistake because what was being proposed was uh, what I took to be truths about people and life. It was being promoted that these actually are not truths. These are stories. These are ideas. They're not as solid or as certain as I would like them to be. Like most people, I like certainty. So I really rebelled or resisted it, shall we say. And then I discovered that well, I had the thought that, hang on, if reality is more flexible than I thought it was, maybe there's something something useful in this. So it's the idea of taking those labels that we've either prescribed to ourselves or other people have given us, mm. sort of going, well, do I need to be that? Y yes. Is that how I want to know myself or know others? Mm. Is And is it working for me? Yeah, yeah. Because quite well, often when we have something that we really identify with, like, mm. you know, I'm that kind of person. Yes. It can actually limit the mm. way we the way we are. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Narrative will tend to shy away from saying, I am this or that. It's saying, I have these ways of being and these ways of being. I have my vulnerable ways of being and I have my assertive ways of being and I have my uh, fragile ways of being um, and I have my joyful ways of being and my not-so-joyful ways of being. So, but none of those would I say that's who I am. Mm. It's how I'm being. So there's a lot more freedom there. Narrative is not concerned with trying to find your real self because it disputes the idea that there is such a thing. Oh right! Mm. So there's there's multiple there's multiple versions of ourselves. That's right. It's called multi, multiple identities. Michael White, who was one of the people who developed narrative, he said, "Our lives are multi-storied, and we are multi-identitied, and no one story of our lives or ourselves 
accounts for our lived experience. Wow. <laughs> there we go. So it is possible to to be different with different people. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, when you're a lecturer in front of a room or being an academic, you're going to be somewhat different than when you're with your partner or children or something like that. Yes. So saying I am a serious person is very limiting. Absolutely. Yeah. So mm-hmm. thinking about that, so just in a, in a, in a, in a thing of self-disclosure, we first met um, getting on for six years ago mm-hmm. now, um, and you were actually one of my lecturers who saw me through a very particularly trying time in my own life as I discovered stuff about um, anger and ways of being. I remember it <laughs> and well. And I'm not yeah. an angry person. I'm not mm. an angry person. Mm. And it was it was it was really quite um enlightening for me and as mm. as such I actually do sort of lean towards narrative therapy mm. although I like most therapists I do incorporate others if the client needs it as well. So when you when you sort of look back on your own life before you were a therapist can you just tell you know, tell tell me a little bit about who who Adrian is. Um, oh, I was a dreamer and an idealist, as I guess many adolescents are. Yep. Um, um, I used drugs quite extensively when I was an adolescent, and uh, uh, particularly LSD, um, and um, and then I, you know, that led me to spiritual inquiry um and i'm a long-term meditator i find that most valuable and important so that's something completely away from words and stories Mm. um i've i've had my share of drama and disappointments i've been married and divorced i've got two children uh, adult children now Uh, one of them went through a really really difficult time um so that was a great deal of worry for me. So all, all the regular life stuff, mm. Mm. Uh, humbling. Mm. And I believe there was a moment in there where you dabbled in acting as well. Oh, yes, I, I, I was an actor. I went to drama school in London for three years and uh, um, worked in theatre and did a bit of television. I, I played a, a crazy psychiatrist in the Australian soap opera, The Young Doctors. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is that something that can be found on YouTube for somebody who's... Yes, who, I'm who's, afraid so. <laughs> <laughs> somebody who's really keen on finding that out. Mm. Okay. Mm. So why the shift to therapy? Um, it all started when I was about 20 and I was sharing a flat in London and the guy uh, whose flat it was, who I admired greatly, have great respect for, he was studying counselling. And there were one or two books around. And I remember Carl Rogers' book on becoming a person was there. Mm. And I read some of it. Mm. And it was enough for me to go, oh, I think I want to do this. And so I threw myself into analytical psychotherapy. I had sessions five times a week as a client. Um, It was very psychoanalytic. And after a couple of years of, I did about 200 hours in two years and... uh, uh, I pulled back from it. The the philosophy I found far too narrow. Um, the authority of the therapist was something I didn't didn't like, um, and 
um, it's very reductionist psychoanalysis. You know, this is not to say lots of people don't get a great deal of benefit from it, but it wasn't for me. And so I abandoned the therapy project, if you like, and came back to it about 25 years later. Wow. And did a training at the Jensen Newman Institute, uh, where, where you, you studied as yes. well. And then after that, I did the master's. Yeah. Right, okay. And mm. that's how you ended up in, in, in the narrative, in the yes, narrative yes. world. Mm. Wow. Okay. What do you... Um, what do you enjoy about being a therapist? I love the connection. I have, so I feel I have some wonderful relationships. Um, I'm not terribly good at small talk. Um, so I like the fact that we're really getting, we're having some real conversations about real stuff mm. um, in therapy and, and as a supervisor as well. Mm. So the human connection, um, you know, the fact that one can contribute to people is a, is a, is a wonderful thing. Um, and to be in that position is is terrific. Mm. Mm. Okay. Mm. okay. Where's the room in there for you, though? Because therapy is pretty one-sided. I think that's convenient, actually. So um, people tend to reveal themselves to me and I don't have to reveal myself to them, which mm. is a safe thing. Okay. But... I I went back into therapy for I mean, a dozen, 15 sessions last year. I have regular supervision. So I make sure that I am well supported. So as supervisors well. for the supervisors. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, mm. somebody asked me the other day about um, supervision because on my on my footer on my email it says um, counseling, psychotherapy, and clinical supervision. Mm -hmm. And somebody asked me, what su clinical supervision was? Can you explain what 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 being a supervisor involves? Generally, how it works is that I would see my supervisor and I would talk about the people that I'm working with, um, mostly where I'm having some questions or struggles or not quite sure where to go. And my supervisor, I've got two supervisors, each work in different ways. Um, it's just having that other to promote, promote self-reflection and maybe to throw in a few ideas um, so that one is informed, you know, just looking outside one's own parameters, if you like. Okay. Um, so getting a, sec getting, getting like a, second, a second opinion. Second opinion on yeah. things. And always somebody on the outside can see things that I can't. I think okay. that's true for all of us. So. Yeah. From a from a confidentiality point of view for clients, mm. um, what sort of information do you do you reveal in your supervision sessions with your supervisor? Uh, all my clients are uh, are aware that I have supervision, and I may discuss the work that I'm doing with them with my supervisor. Uh, there is an attempt to to maintain confidentiality in not using you know full names, um, but it might slip out. Yeah, so there's. Um, a, there's an effort to de-identify yes, people yes. And, and cases that you're talking about. That's right. Um, but people who see me are, are well aware that this is uh, part of my ongoing professional development and that it serves them that mm. there's somebody else. Mm. And you get those you get those other views on things yeah. around mm. cases that, mm. you know, things that might come up that mm. are a little bit outside or left centre of... Absolutely. And no matter how experienced 
we are as therapists, we've always got blind spots. And how experienced are you as a therapist now? Oh, I've, I don't know how to measure that. I mean, I've, I've probably conducted five or 6,000 hours. Um, and I always say this, every single one, I would do something different. If I were to look at a video of it, I would go, oh no, should have said nothing there. Or I could have said something there, could have slowed down. Could it, yeah. Do you make notes so that you can come back to some of those ideas in next in future sessions with clients? I make I do take notes in session, um, but mostly about what the client is saying. But I will remember uh, if I've gone off track or something like that. Yeah. Mm. This is a very narrative question. Okay, if you okay. don't mind me asking no, of this. Course. How's this interview going? <laughs> well, I think it's going okay. Okay. Um, it's uh, it's actually really interesting to sort of see this side of you because it's mm. normally me on the receiving end of all the questions. Mm-hmm. So mm. it's a little bit it's a little bit intimidating for me to be on this side of of the fence mm-hmm. uh, for you to be opening up and revealing a little bit about yourself mm-hmm. to me, which is which is nice because I mm. said we, you know we've known each other for for for. For six years, but really, you've known me for six years. Yes, it hasn't been the other way around. Mm. So it's it's yeah, it's I I think it's quite I think it's quite nice to sort of like have a little bit of a reveal about about who you are mm. as a, as a person. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. So, and how are you going with it? Are you enjoying yes, yourself I, talking I, about I'm, yourself I'm for en- a change? I'm enjoying uh, sharing this. This yes, <laughs> yeah, because it's not normally about you. No. Yeah. And what you're saying there, though, it's, it's good, I think. I mean, most social conversations, are, are, it's a two-way street, isn't it? Mm. But in therapy, it's much more a one-way street, mm. a little two-way. But you, you don't come here as a client or if you were a client to, to hear me talk about my life. No, well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Do you, do you sometimes use self-disclosure, though, to, um, to bond with to bond with a client or to give a client an idea that you do have an understanding of what they're experiencing? Yes, judiciously, Mm. just a little. Mm. And, you know, it goes through a couple of gatekeepers to make sure that this is for the client's benefit, not for my my need to to speak. Mm. Mm. Yeah, okay. So you spend a lot of time in silence. Quite a lot, yeah. Yeah. And questioning, actually, narrative is very characterised by curiosity. Do you uh, do you find that you're able to apply? So when you're when you're going through your own struggles, which I'm sure you're not immune to, um, as most therapists aren't, mm-hmm. do you find that you're able to use the techniques that you that you know and you understand and apply them to yourself, or do you find yourself in that situation? You really need to speak to somebody, Adrian. I, I do. The, the, a lot of narrative ideas are personally very meaningful. Um, that doesn't mean to say it wouldn't be helpful to talk to somebody else as well. But it's. Uh, I don't think unless it was personally valuable, I could use it with other people. Do, do you mm. know what I mean? It, mm. uh, um, it's been really helpful okay yeah. so can you can you give me an idea of some of the things that you've used for your own for your own benefit um of in in sort of like the narrative and the therapy sort of 
um, wheelhouse that you have, the knowledge that you have? Um, narrative has this idea or practice of externalising that we don't have feel, just have feelings, we have relationships with our feelings. Okay. Um, so, you know, somebody might say they're angry um, and that might mean that's terrible. I'm angry. I've lost the plot. I'm out of control. Or I'm angry. Finally, I've found my voice and I'm standing up for myself. So just getting in contact with feelings is not sufficient therapy. We also need to look at the meanings we make of our feelings. And so when I've been upset or worried, I can step back from it a little bit. I'd like to point out that that is a little doggy in the room. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, <laughs> a yeah. sweet, sweet little I have a, thing. I have a chihuahua that pretty much travels everywhere with me and she's decided that she doesn't like the sound of the trucks going past <laughs> on the road outside. Mm. So if you do hear a bit of a whining every now and then, that's what it is. Mm. That's all right. So when um, I've had an upset or something's going on, I can, I can, I can see it. I don't have to be so embroiled in it. That doesn't mean to say I don't, you know, get upset or uh, things don't disturb me. But there's a distance. I can see it, and I know it's not the final truth about me. Mm. It's not an identifier. It's not an, my identity, yes. Mm. Do you have an identity, do you think? Lots, lots of identities. Lots. I had to ask yeah. just in case yeah. you slipped up. <laughs> <laughs> so when um, I, I'm often asked how, how I can sit with clients in those really difficult moments when they're, you know, either pouring their heart out or they're, they're sort of revealing something that is, you know, extremely personal and very powerful and quite clearly had a mm. monumental impact on their life. Mm. How do you how do you go with that? How do you how do you handle that? I'm quite optimistic and hopeful. Um, and I know that the talking about it is the first step for things to loosen up and move towards healing. Um, I also am very aware that all things change. Somebody may be desperately upset now, but it will pass. It will pass. This is an event. Mm. Just needs holding and uh, honouring, but it will pass, as all things do. Mm. Do you ever... Feel it for them? Yes, yes. I'm thinking of somebody who came to me who lost somebody very, very close um, through uh, that person had taken their own life and this person was very close to them and, and the pain of this person, this has happened a few times actually, is just immense. Um and, and, it, and, you know, I've shed the odd tear, of course. Mm. Um, you cannot fail to be moved by that. And I, I think people need to know that you're a human being who feels. Mm. You're not just this objective analyst or something like that. Mm. Mm. So actually demonstrating that you're feeling and hearing, really hearing them and sort of like holding yes. that space for them. yes. Do you think that lends a deeper connection to a client clinical relationship? 
Very much so. And as you well know, that the relationship is fundamental. It's, it's not a, a, a thing on the side. It is the basis of effective work. Mm. Mm. I, um, I, I personally have a few, I, I have quite a diverse range of clients and I have, um, I have one particular client who springs to mind who is, is very expressive with his language. And when he first started coming and seeing me, I could see that he was really holding back with the language, as he called it. And I said, no, 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 please be, be true, be, be true to yourself. And he was like, oh, no, but, you know, I don't, I don't like swearing in front of ladies. And I said, well, I'm not a lady right now. I'm a therapist and you can use whatever language you need to use. Mm-hmm. And once he was able to truly express himself, he, he, the amount of work that he did, the, the, the work that he was doing just completely changed. It right. completely shifted. Yes. Because he was able to really be himself and he thank, he actually thanked me because he said, no, he said, I don't normally swear in front of ladies at all. Yeah. So it was a really, really interesting moment and a very bonding moment for us on a clinical client That basis. you didn't reject him or condemn him, him in I any didn't, way. I didn't for, flinch when yeah. he used, you know, I didn't flinch when he used the C word. I didn't yeah. flinch when he, you know, literally made a sentence up with the F word in every type of, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> used it as an adjective for now and everything all in one sentence. Mm. And I didn't even flinch. And he was mm. like, oh, you know. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So I think, you know, having that really mm. being in connection with mm. your clients can mm. make a huge can make a huge difference mm. for them and yes. for how they work. Yes. Yeah. So you think shedding a tear is sometimes needed? Uh, well, I wouldn't do it. It just happens mm. and there's very little you can do about mm. it. Um, and sometimes I've said, oh, you might have noticed I was quite, moved by what you were saying I wonder what that was like for you and mostly people are grateful touched Mm. it's it's a delicate thing because I think people everybody needs to know that you're a human and you feel but also that you're steady that Mm. you're not being blown away by this it's not oh my god none of that (laughs) Um, because then the client might try and take care of the therapist Mm. and we don't want that no, absolutely, mm. absolutely. So, can you can you think of um, can you think of a moment when you have sort of had a had a reaction that you've kind of had to suck up till later? Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. I think um, I think most therapists mm, would have had one mm. of those. Uh, I work sometimes with couples, and sometimes, not always, it can be adversarial. And uh, I can think of a couple I was with fairly recently where uh, a gentleman was really bitter and nasty and blaming and um, his partner was very upset. And uh, I find myself having judgments, mm. you know. Um, I'm not saying they're the right judgments, but it is a, it is a reactivity. Mm. Um not a therapeutic response. Is that it's a personal from your, reactivity. Your own experience coming to the front. Yes, yeah. It's it's ugliness. It's, it's nastiness. Um, so, you know, I need to park a lot of that in order to work with the couple, and uh, not to condemn, uh, not to endorse either. Mm. Mm. And what did it look like after they left? Um, they were both pretty upset still. Yeah. What about you? 
I think I probably did that. I did a lot of sighing and reflection on my own reactivity um, and about how might I approach this in the future because it's, it'll probably come up again. Was it something you took to supervision? I haven't yet, actually. Oh, so it's but, that recent. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I think it's something that I, I'd be well advised to do, actually. Mm. Yeah. Coping with one's own reactivity in those situations, you know, when your own stuff gets triggered. Well, I know we've mm. spoken about it before for myself. Um, I have a real trouble. I have, I, I really react mm. Um, mm. in that way to middle-aged men crying. Oh. But I, 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 mm. I'm, I, I think I know where it comes from, but I'm still working with it. But I, I manage to hold the space for them in the time and then afterwards mm. I have to do the same. I do the reflecting and where's it coming from and why, mm. why am I feeling like that. Mm. So it's, it's interesting to hear that this is not a unique thing, mm. that we, 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 are, we, are, we are humans yes. and we yes. do react to clients sometimes mm. and we have to, we have mm. to work. Yes, somebody came to me for supervision not so long ago, um, uh, and her quick question was um, how to be with a client that she didn't particularly like. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, she was thinking that she was a bad therapist and that she shouldn't think this and stuff like that. Of course, mm -hmm. <laughs> we're not going to like everybody who walks through the door. Mm -hmm. But it, it's a real stretch then mm -hmm. to look and find virtue. Mm. and to notice one's own reactivity. Mm. 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 Beyond a certain point, one, ha one would say you need to refer that client on if it's interfering in the work, really. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Mm. So you're a, a strong um, proponent of referring clients if you don't feel that you are the right person for them. That's right. And there's research that says if there's not some movement within five or six sessions, the likelihood of movement diminishes. Um, so... There are a few people that I've su suggested, you know, I've said, you know, I wonder how this is for you. Are you um, getting what you came for? And if not, what, what can we do about that? Or would you be better off seeing somebody else? You know? Look, that's that's rare, mm. I'm glad to say, but it does happen sometimes. Mm. And it's pretty narcissistic to think that you're the, the right person for everyone. Mm. What do you What do you say if you're feeling like things aren't moving and they go, oh, no, it's great? It's fantastic. You're doing an amazing job. I feel so good when I'm with you, and they really connect with you. Mm. But the connection isn't the other way. How do you how do you go about handling that? Because I know that I've heard that from quite a few quite a few people that I've spoken to. Um, I don't think I'd say very much about what what's going on for me because mm. it's really it's not about no, me. No, I mean just how do you feel about it in general, rather than not. I wouldn't. I, I'm not saying you'd ever say that yeah. to the client. Well, I don't like you, so I don't <laughs> want you to come, come anymore. But how do you feel when they give you a completely different response to what you're expecting? It doesn't happen that often. I actually okay. say mostly. I think we're on the sort of same page. Um, but if somebody says it's great and things are going fine and I'm not expecting that, I'll just say, well, in what way great? Can mm. you give me some examples of this greatness? So and your question, yes, your question, so question is. What, what's happening here that's having this greatness occur? Mm. So there's always a useful question to thicken. And that's mm. the core of narrative, yeah. isn't it? It's asking those questions mm. to draw out 
about that little bit yeah. of extra information yeah. and that story that we tell ourselves mm. about why things are working. Or Narrative not. has this concept of thick and thin descriptions and most of us go around with thin descriptions. You know, I like that, I don't like that. What do you mean by like? Mm. That's inviting of a thick description. Mm. And people generally go, um, well, it means that, you know, and that, uh, it means it's a stretching. Mm. So people are moving into unfamiliar territory. Mm. That's a good sound to hear. Yeah. Mm. From a public speaking point of view, it goes against the grain for me to hear the uh. Mm. <laughs> but I know what you mean because I hear it quite a lot because I, I also, as I said before, I use quite a lot of narrative yeah. in my in my therapy and I do hear that. Uh, and I have one client who's, who, who says, good question. <laughs> That's that's a good thing to hear, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Good, yeah. It is. Yeah. And whenever I hear that, I kind of think, oh, good, mm. good, you know, good, yeah. Uh, David Epstein, who was um, one of the developers of narrative, along with Michael White, he had this phrase of going where the buses don't normally run. Oh, wow. Exploring unfamiliar territory. Mm. Uh, there's a guy called Lev Vygotsky who was a Russian educational psychologist who had this uh, called the zone of proximal development, how we get from the known and familiar to the unknown and unfamiliar or the forgotten, mm. the, 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 the practices of stretching. You know, somebody who knows how to be in the world by being violent, learning to be in the world by being generous or kind or something like that. Mm. Somebody who knows how to be in the world when they're drinking half a bottle of scotch a day, learning to be in the world without that. Mm. So the journey from the known and familiar to the unknown and unfamiliar is what therapy is all about. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And quite yeah. powerful to um, mm. quite powerful mm. to discover that as well. So sort of taking you away from that I am a strong, independent mm. person mm. to I don't need to be a strong independent person yeah. to still be in the world and yes. be comfortable in it. There's a place for my softness and vulnerability and mm. yeah. Yeah, because nobody's strong and independent all the time. Mm. It's an exhausting mm. way to live. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So just before we just before we wrap up, I've got a couple of questions um, that are very sort of going back into sort of like your own thoughts and rather than to your into the therapy. What apart from meditation? What do you do for self care and self nurture? Mm. Well, the meditation would be the heart of it, but mm. that also includes every morning and every evening I do some stretches, I do some pranayama breathing, as well as the meditation. I walk, I like to walk. Um, I don't drink at all. I used to, and I used to drink excessively. Mm. And um, about 12, 14 years ago, I thought, nah, put this away. Mm. Um go to bed at a reasonable hour and we're pretty boring actually <laughs> um uh yeah i i feel pretty good to myself. i don't work very hard you don't work very hard you no, do no. work quite hard i'm sure well um I, it's, it's an interesting concept isn't that hard work mm. this is supposed to be noble to do hard it's not a very attractive word is it no i suppose uh, not. yeah you're right um yeah. and so you know, look, I, I am almost 65 and um, uh, I choose not to work that hard. And I think I prefer not to see more than four people in a day. Mm. 
sometimes five. But uh, if I was a lot younger, I could probably see more. I'd have more stamina. But in order to give those people my full attention, mm. four is enough. Mm. 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 So that's four one-hour sessions. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm sure from the outside people would say you work quite hard, but you don't feel like no, you're working no, hard at no. all. <laughs> there are little periods, particularly when I'm teaching, where I might be teaching intensely for a few days or something like mm. that. But then I'll do very little. I take all of January off. So do so do people who you know work for the public service. Yes. So you're yeah. fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, what do you think the future of mental health in Australia looks like? I fear that it become more medicated, mm. and there is definitely place for medication uh, it's most useful for many people but taking a chemical approach to social emotional and family problems is we're in dangerous territory there um, on the other hand I'm quite optimistic because I think counseling is becoming much more acceptable it doesn't have the stigma that it once did um, uh, and there is so much more awareness about mental health, so much more. And, you know, the whole Royal Commission, the, the abuse and stuff like that, it's, um, it's more well-known. Mm. And I think uh, that that's a great thing. Yeah. The mm. lasting effects of it from childhood, childhood experiences yes. into adulthood mm. becoming far more acceptable and acknowledged mm. Mm. that, Things that happen to us early do have an impact on yes. us. Yes, and pulling your socks up and getting on with it, and this isn't a sign of weakness. You know, all those old discourses—they're being challenged. Mm. Mm. I saw a, a movie recently that um, that struck a bit of a chord with me, and there's a line in it that really taps into my to my therapy to my therapy head, which is, um, "It's not weak to ask for help." Yes. Mm. So it's um, it's definitely become, yeah. and that's in you know like a major major Hollywood film. So yeah. it's really becoming much more acceptable. Um, mm. But the whole movie's about about mental health mm. and you know learning to love yourself. So which is quite wonderful. Mm. Um, mm. And just just in just in closing, once upon a time you were you know you've right at the beginning of this you told us that you were a bit of a wild child when you were younger. Mm. Looking back at that time, what one piece of advice would you give to yourself at that time if you thought you would listen? Just one piece of advice? Okay. You can give us whatever you want to. It, it would give be us whatever something you like, you don't have to work so hard at this, you don't have to worry, you don't have to get it all sorted. Don't have to get it all sorted. Yeah. Do you think you've got it sorted now? Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. But the space of unknowing is a very beautiful space when we stop resisting it. Mm. It's all a complete mystery. Mm. We can never solve this, but we can attune to it. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much for allowing me into your space, Adrian, to, to, to talk to you today. And I'll, I'll close with, 
what I say to most of my clients, which is stay well. Thank you. And I hope you stay well too, Francis. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Secrets We Share. If you're interested in sharing some of your secrets, please visit our website at secretkeepercounseling.com.au. Keep an ear out for our next episode soon.